0: This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marian Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and today I'm going to use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And
0: I'm Charlie Navarette, an actor in New York City, and here to ask the questions that you may have while listening to our podcast. We are both here because we believe that the more you know before a crisis occurs, the better prepared you are to make difficult decisions.
1: So please relax, get yourself something charmingly fabulous to snap snip on, snip on, snip on. on. To,
0: to, sure, why not?
1: You can, you can snip that all you want, baby. And mm-hmm. thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we walk through the use of anthenogens to address the spiritual needs of people with terminal illnesses. In the first half, we have a recipe to make your next funeral lunch uh, out of this world. And Charlie has offered a list of five things that you probably don't know about psychedelics. Ooh. In the second half, I'm going to be talking about spiritual, spirituality and the use of hallucinogenic drugs for people living with terminal illness. And in our third half, Charlie treats us to the poetry of Willie Nelson. Now, given our topic for the week, mm-hmm. it may be roll me up and smoke me when I die, but we'll have to wait to find out. <laughs> so, Charles... <laughs>
0: Fine way to start off the show. Excellent.
1: Yes, yes, Maria. Uh, how are ya?
0: Fine. Thank you for asking. You?
1: You're welcome. Well, um, you know, we're we're redoing this God help us house that we bought. Uh-huh. And I walked into the area where they're putting in the bathroom and saw piles of dirt. So they broke up the cement And then they dug the dirt out from underneath the cement to lay like all the plumbing and HVAC stuff. And I just had Uh piles of dirt. It's like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) I've done a lot of renovations in my life, but there's always been a basement, you know? I've never had this experience of like just a cement slab where... They have to dig up the entire floor in order to do stuff.
0: So So uh, I just
1: walk I walk in there and I look and I shake my head and
0: so so I there's come out. so so there's no basement <laughs> in your new place?
1: No. Out oh. here they don't put basements. What? I don't know if that just makes it easier when the hurt the tornadoes like knock the houses down. I don't know why, but there are no basements. Uh,
0: well, that's planning ahead for you. Really? No basements?
1: All right. No basements? No, you don't see basements. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's The dirt here is like red clay. I don't know if that has to do with it. I don't really know. I guess I should investigate and find out why my life is a living hell, but we'll say that for another show. Sure.
0: Why not? And, and folks, if you know the answer to that question, um... Well, first, you're smarter than the two of us. Uh, let us know. That's interesting. I've, I've huh. yeah. Email no us at yes.
1: mail at dot org and tell us because, like I said, my life is living hell. So we're going to talk about drugs today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love these segues. So, yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, speaking of drugs. <laughs> speaking of drugs, <laughs> since we are talking about psychedelics today, here are five little known facts courtesy of Zamnesia. Mantle I'm mushrooms. hoping to get Zamnesia
1: after all this is over. Yep. <laughs> Number
0: one, MDMA, street name, ecstasy or molly, may have clinical value. MD is making astonishing progress in the mental health arena. Rick Doblin, Ph.D. and founder of Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, has been researching the use of MDMA to treat severe anxiety in military veterans suffering from PTSD as well as social anxiety in autism. Various strict clinical trials have been published confirming these findings, helping pave the way for further examination onto the potential benefits of this psychoactive ethyogen. Number two, the CIA tested LSD on unsuspecting subjects. I'm shocked, shocked to hear that. (laughs) Project MKUltra is not a conspiracy theory, but in fact, actual history. The CIA developed this mind control program, unofficially, in 1950, being sanctioned in 1953. The project officially lasted until 1973. LSD was used extensively on thousands of unsuspecting members of the population. Even within the CIA, drinks were often spiked at the agency's gathering to test the outcome on intelligence officers. It was not uncommon for invitees to bring their own drinks as they soon became aware of this practice and quickly learned to mistrust the catering service. (laughs) That's right. We mistrust the catering service, but the CIA is okay. Number three, peyote use is protected by the U.S. government. Bizarre as it may sound, this strong psychedelic is guarded by the government. It is legal only for the members of the Native American church. Formed in 1914, at the time called the Firstborn Church of Jesus Christ, groups of peyote-consuming Native Americans convinced the Supreme Court that the use of this cactus was a form of religious rite. Curiously, the Santo Diame Church in Brazil managed to do the same with Ayahuasca. Peyote was also writer and philosopher Alex Huxley's favorite psychedelic. Number four. Well, it's,
1: good to, it's good to have a favorite psychedelic.
0: Um, yes. Uh, do, do you have a favorite psychedelic, Marianne?
1: Um, is, is chocolate considered a psychedelic? I, I would think so. You know, I mean,
0: centuries ago, I mean, white white chocolate was so, well, for lack of a better word, orgasmic. Um, didn't Rome ban it for a while? I mean, I'm going back hundreds of years now. Um, somebody banned I I, somebody I, never heard,
1: I, never, I never heard that.
0: It, w- it was temporary, uh, but it was just because people just enjoyed it so much. It was something like that. Well, well, there huh. we okay. So, folks, okay. after after you look up uh, about why there are no basements in the state of Oklahoma, if somebody could let us know about that too, thank you.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So, number four, baseball superstar pitches a perfect game. Hi on LSD, Major League Baseball legend Doc Ellis was a bonafide acid head. Serving as a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 70s, he was also living the aftermath of the flower power revolution. He was set to play against the San Diego Padres on June the 12th, but decided to drop some acid as soon as he arrived at the airport the night before. Tripping balls at a friend's house is a night not considered to be the best pregame prep, Most people would not be able to function normally under such heavy use, but despite being high as a kite, Ellis managed to pitch a no-hitter.
1: Wow. Good for him. A talented guy.
0: And number five. One of the influential shroom experts was also vice president at J.P. Morgan. R. Gordon Wasson a banker that went on to become vice president of public relations at J.P. Morgan, was also an amateur ethnomycologist in the 1930s. He is probably one of the biggest influential figures for the public awareness of magic mushrooms, having written several books on the subject and even published articles for Time magazine promoting its use. At one point, Wasson invited Abby Hoffman to head down to Mexico to hunt for a plant that we now know as, as Salvia... Divinorum.
1: Doesn't that sound like a uh, uh, something from Harry Potter? Oh, you're Salvia right. Salvia Divinorum.
0: <laughs> yes, actually it does. From the Harry Potter film, Salvia, yes. In honor yeah. of today's chat about magic <laughs> mushrooms, we are offering a recipe for stuffed mushroom casserole for you to make for your next funeral lunch. What they are stuffed with is entirely up to you. This recipe saves you the hassle of stuffing individual mushrooms because it's a casserole. You get all the flavors of the Catholic dish with a fraction of the prep time. Well, please go to our webpage for this recipe, which I assume is legal in some states, and additional resources for this program. Be clear, head in and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember to rate and review this podcast and brownies. Rate and review the brownies. We have a link in our show notes that makes rating our podcast easy and that would be so helpful to us. As a licensed non-profit organization, we are dependent on your kindness and always appreciate your tax-deductible donations. If you find this podcast to be of help to you, and many of you have told us it has, please go to our webpage to donate so that we can continue to provide quality shows about serious illness. Dying, Death, and Bereavement at www.everyonedies.org. That's every, the number one, dies, dot org. Marianne?
1: Well, so our theme today is um, the use of psychedelics in the finding of spirituality for people at the end of life. Finding meaning and purpose in our lives can be challenging at times, but maybe even harder in the face of advanced serious illness. So this week I'm going to chat with you about the use of athenogens, medicines that create an experience of the sacred into the spiritual and holistic care of people diagnosed with advanced serious illness. Antheogens are chemical substances, typically of plant origin, that are swallowed to produce a non-ordinary state of consciousness for religious or spiritual purposes. Entheogens include sacred medicines used for millennia by indigenous people for healing and spiritual growth, such as psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, peyote, umboga, and salvia divinorum. Psilocybe mushrooms, informally known as magic mushrooms or simply shrooms, are very common in theogen, historically used across many different cultures. Psilocybe is a genus of psychiatric mushroom that includes over 100 identified species, which can be found in many different locations around the world. Magic mushrooms have been used by aboriginal Mexicans who refer to them as teonanacatl, which means divine mushroom. Hallucinations, spiritual experiences, and euphoria are common effects of magic mushrooms. Peyote is a short brown cactus and the main psychoactive compound is mescaline. The earliest records of peyote use date back to, to like the year 3000 BCE after peyote cactus was identified in ancient Native American tombs. Peyote was widely used by the Chulik natives, a tribe that existed for thousands of years. Peyote has been harvested to such extent that it's now classified as a vulnerable species. To this day, this entheogen is used by Native Americans for shamanic purposes. The ayahuasca contains the psychoactive component, DMT. DMT is possibly the strongest known psychedelic. DMT is found in thousands of plant species. Curiously, the substance is also produced in your brain, achieving its highest concentration at the time of birth and death. DMT, also called the spirit molecule, is thought to be the stuff that fuels your dreams. It's known to cure deep unconscious psychological pressures. In higher doses, the number of people claiming to have spoken to alien entities is staggering. This brew is prevalent in northern South American countries like Peru, Bolivia, and Colombia. Members of the Urania, Sharar, Shipobo, and Tucanao groups use ayahuasca for shamanic purposes. The effects of drinking this brew are very powerful and many experience profound and transformative effects. It's often taken in the presence of a shaman who guides the user through the athenogenic experience. These medicines are used in various cultural contexts, often under the direction of a shaman, a medicine man or woman, who's highly trained to navigate non-ordinary states of consciousness and metaphysical realms, assisted by drumming and devotional songs, healing rituals, and a deep knowledge of a connection to the natural world. Sacred medicines are used as sacraments in worship ceremonies to recognize, um, of recognized religious groups such as with ayahuasca in the Church of Santo Domingo and the union de vegetal and with peyote in the Native American Church. In the 1960s, the discovery of Luceric Acid diethylamide, otherwise known as LSD, by Albert Hoffman, otherwise known as Abby Hoffman, sparked a period of research regarding the potential applications of the theogenic substances for physical, emotional, and spiritual purposes. Over a 100 trials of LSD and psilocybin were conducted at this time, many receiving government funding with varying therapeutic approaches and varying levels of scientific rigor. The most culturally memorable of these studies is Walter Pankey's 1962 Good Friday experiment, a double-blind randomized control match trial, which means that neither the person who was taking the drug or the person giving the drug knew which one it was, and that both groups eventually got both drugs, so that's what that means, in which psilocybin, and an act of placebo were given to 20 Divinity students in a chapel basement. And this had an altar and other um, religious icons you know, present. And this was given during a broadcast of a Good Friday service to investigate if a mythical experience can be induced under these circumstances. Now, four out of ten subjects had a mythical experience according to Pankey's criteria. But in spite of as promising results. Psychedelic research was stopped by political backlash, and made illegal in the 1960s. Only in the last decade has there been a resurgence. And you've probably been reading about these kind of studies that are going on in, you know, New York Times or local newspapers. In 2006, Griffinson's colleagues in a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized control trial. Trial found large doses of synthetic psilocybin administered to healthy participants in a comfortable, supportive setting over the course of an eight hour session caused complete mystical type experiences in 22 of the 36 participants, as compared with four of 36 participants in the methylphenidate um, placebo. 67% of the volunteers rated the experience with psilocybin to be either the single most meaningful experience of their life or among the top five similar, for example, the birth of a first child or the death of a parent. In 2016, two landmark studies of synthetic psilocybin for the treatment of cancer-related anxiety and depression were published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology by research teams at New York University, NYU, and Johns Hopkins, using the same study methodology. The results of both studies were impressive, if not profound. Immediate reduction of anxiety and depressive symptoms in participants in the psilocybin group, as compared with the active placebo group before they switched the drug, at Six month follow up, these reductions were pretty much maintained in both studies. The long term results are limited by the lack of a comparison group after crossover. And a phenomenological analysis of interviews, which is where they, um, interview the people who were involved in the study and then do an analysis of the themes that you can pull out of those. So they did a phenomenological analysis of interviews with patients in the NYU study, and it was reported that Typical themes found in the majority of most transcripts included the following, exalted feelings of joy, bliss, love, embodiment, um, describe the experience as indescribable, um, alterations to identity, uh, movement from feelings of separateness to interconnectedness, experience of, um, maybe, you know, a little bit of, uh, Uh, psychological distress, but it came and then it went, Um, the appearance of loved ones as guiding spirits, uh, and sharing the experience with loved ones post-treatment. Additional analysis of these interviews with the NYU patients, which relates specifically to their cancer experience, identified themes of reconciliation with death and acknowledgement of cancer's place in life, and an emotional uncoupling from cancer. Psilocybin therapy helped facilitate a felt reconnection to life, a reclaiming of presence and greater confidence in the face of cancer recurrence. Of importance is the therapeutic context in which psilocybin was administered in these trials. Participants participated in two eight-hour long-dosing sessions of either psilocybin or uh, active non-psychedelic placebo, scheduled several weeks apart. By participating in three therapy sessions with two study therapists to talk about current personal existential themes and concerns, as well as three therapy sessions after the dosing sessions to integrate the experience. The study therapists, which were psychologists, Psychiatrists, social workers, and nurses were trained for their role by exploring psychological and spiritual domains of care for patients facing existential distress. During the dosing sessions, participants were asked to lie down on a comfortable couch in a thoughtfully decorated room, to put on eye shades and headphones, which played instrumental music, and to pay attention to their inward experiences. No serious side effects were reported in either of the studies only non-serious temporary adverse events which resolved by the end of the session, such as a moderate increase in blood pressure, some nausea, anxiety, and psychological distress were reported. However, in a survey of 1,993 psilocybin users in the community, 2.6% of respondents said that um, they acted in a physically aggressive manner during a quote-unquote bad trip, and 2.7% reported seeking medical help. This discrepancy in adverse events between clinical and community settings highlights the importance of providing attentive and therapeutic care before, during, and after a psilocybin experience to ensure the physical and psychospiritual safety and well-being of participants. So how does this all work in terms of serious illness and the end of life? Well, let me give you a case study. And it's not um, a real case study. It's one that as part of a um, paper that we wrote, which is in your resources, um, was put together. Um, But it mirrors what occurs. So Avery is a 49-year-old woman who was recently diagnosed with stage 4 uterine cancer. Over the six weeks since receiving the diagnosis, she has severe anxiety, overwhelming distress that is a part of her fear of dying. Avery has been experiencing extreme disease in her body and says she feels like an imposter in her own skin. Some previous regrets and resentments have bubbled to the surface over the past few days, leading her to think of past wrongdoings for which she has not asked forgiveness and offenses she has not yet forgot. She has experienced deep spiritual injury, having been sexually abused as a child by a religious leader in her community. This abuse led her to question the existence of the higher power and avoid romantic partnerships in her adult years. Avery is receiving her first dose of psilocybin, the active component of magic mushrooms, today as part of an academic medical center clinical trial. She found the researchers after reading an article about their work in the newspaper. A nurse sits beside Avery, takes a deep breath to center himself, and pauses. What are you hoping for today, Avery? Avery takes a few moments and finally whispers, peace. And what are you most worried about, the nurse asks. After wiping the tears from her face, Avery finally makes eye contact and responds. I'm terrified this won't work. The nurse reassures Avery that regardless of the outcomes today, she will be supported and guided safely through the experience. Avery thanks her nurse for a moment and takes his hand. Life as she's previously known it will never be quite the same. Eight hours later, Avery emerges from her journey, having encountered a range of sensations, thoughts, and emotions. At times, she felt a dull sense of nausea and impending anxiety, but as her journey progressed, she experienced a warm, liquid sensation in her heart that intensified until she wept deeply. When words finally come, she says simply, Love, so much love, it's always surrounding us. I can't believe I didn't feel it before but I still have time. In following therapeutic integration sessions, Avery could tell the story of her experience at times, although some aspects remained beyond words. She described an encounter with her cancer in embodiment form, sitting in the chair next to her in the middle of a large, lush forest. She could look at her disease and acknowledge it as a part of her And yet it felt small in comparison to the sense of vastness and connectivity she experienced in relation to all the trees and the creatures in the surrounding forest. I've always believed we're all connected, she explained, but now I feel it. With this new felt sense, Avery reported that she was able to relate more deeply and easily with family members and to be able to talk with them about difficult subjects like her past experience of abuse and the likelihood of her imminent death. She said her family also noticed a change in her. She seemed less anxious and more open. Six months after her psilocybin experience, Avery feels her sense of renewal has faded, but not completely. She reports that the progression of her cancer and the experience of numerous losses, such as professional identity and independence, she has had as many bad days as good days. But she described the psilocybin experience as a touchstone she could tap into when needed. She feels the experience continues to unfold as she faces new challenges, reminding her that each loss brings me closer to others. Though she struggles with allowing her family to take care of her, she also reports feeling profound gratitude for their love. Though she misses the busy pace of days when she was well, she enjoys the opportunity to sit in her backyard, look at the trees feel the breeze, and just be. Classic entheogens, such as psilocybin, are being studied for their abilities to induce deep self-reflection and introspection. These medicines may provide an opportunity to delve into the existential mysteries surrounding one's dying and death, and promote healing at spiritual levels of consciousness. Entheogens, if rescheduled for therapeutic use, which they have not, have the potential to be relevant resources for people with serious illness in the next decade. But until then, here are a few tips that can help manage mental and emotional needs. Providing physical contact. Be close to the people that you care about. Try holding hands or a massage, but be close. Be open to forgiveness. Set a comforting mood. Some people like to be with fewer people in a quiet sort of way. So be aware of that and give people what they need. Play music. This can help with relaxation and lessen in pain. Involve the person who's sick in decisions that need to be made. It's uh, it's a joint venture and even though somebody is really sick doesn't mean that they can't be involved in what and say what they want or what they need if they're asked. Be present. Visit with the person, talk or read to them. Listen attentively to what they have to say with worrying about what you're going to say next. Your presence can be the greatest gift that you can give. And lastly, and probably most importantly, be kind. Charlie, you have any questions or thoughts?
0: My, my first thought is... Everything in moderation. Um, I've I've dealt with um, um, clients who, you know, older, and you know, a doctor or family member, you know, recommended morphine, and they were of the opinion, "Oh, morphine? No, I I don't want. You know, I, I don't want to become addicted to that," because that was the mindset. You know, if you and there was just so much propaganda uh, about that in the, you know, 40s and the 50s that people get addicted to morphine that, you know, older people still remember that. But again, I mean, it, in moderation, it it helps you, you know, with physical pain and also just to relax you. And that's, that's what I kept hearing throughout with every, you know, everything you, you spoke about, you know, you know, a lot of drugs, LSD and everything just... Because people began to abuse them in the late 60s and early 70s, it just it would it just tainted them. And it's taken, well, literally decades just for people to calm down and realize that again, in moderation, everything you're talking about helps you. It helps to relax you, it reduces stress, it reduces pain. And again, it's, it's part of, like you said, it's something simple from holding someone's hand to letting someone speak, listen to music. It's not, you know, one you know, stop shopping and taking some sort of, you know, pill or narcotic is going to take care of everything. No. And that's what people are, are used to a lot. Just, oh, if I take a couple of aspirin, my headache will be gone. Well, it ain't necessarily so. So it's it's just that it's just nice that that with this, you know, people slowly are becoming more uh, open to taking something which has had a bad rep for decades, but you know that will help them out. Uh, so just that, yeah. You know, every everything in moderation.
1: Um, well, and I and I would like to clarify that there is a difference between morphine used for pain management mm-hmm. and psychedelics, which is what we're talking oh, a- about. Oh, absolutely. Today. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I, I'm sorry. And I, did, I did don't it. want yeah, I did, our I did, listeners yeah. to, you know, put them all in the same category right. sorry. because no, 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 they're no. not. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I,
0: I, yeah. I, yeah. One is pain management and the other is, yeah, it's just different. But again, just every, my idea was just everything in moderation and yeah, I'm just glad it's, you know, becoming part of, uh, you know, part of the conversation and part of, you know, what people use just to, you know, to help them, you know, get through life or, you know, at the, at the end of life.
1: And also that spiritual awakening that can be. Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: That we can block with our own brains that these, um, these entheogens can help open up and make available to us and, and provide that spiritual healing.
0: Yeah, and, and some people can um uh, can deal with that. I, I know others cannot, but at least at least it's there. And also, I mean, just with you know, just with natural substances. I mean sometimes I'll I'll go down to Chinatown and I'm just looking for, you know, something specific and it's not I mean the stuff is over the counter, but it's all natural stuff. It's not it's not packaged. You know, like one size fits all for, you know, for some ailment, but it, it's not nice. just, you know, talk to some, some of these people who, you know, pharmacists and, and doctors and they'll, you know, you, you can say exactly what the problem is and they will have something that is, you know, pretty much just natural ingredients.
1: Well, and all of these, the entheogens, are all natural ingredients too. Right, exactly. Come from plants, you know, and morphine's a natural ingredient. You know, I think that we also have to be careful of just because it's a natural ingredient doesn't mean that, you know, you take it with abandon and not think about what are the other things that you're taking and how do they interact with each other because things can interact with each other. So. So there we are. There we are. What do you have for our third half?
0: Well, once again, Everyone Dies wakes the dead with the poetry from Willie Nelson's latest album, A Beautiful Time, which is his 72nd solo studio album. This song is called Dusty Bottles. There's something to be said for getting older. Dusty Bottles pour a finer glass of wine, An old beat-up guitar just sounds better, and wisdom only comes with time. I can spot mistakes before they happen, separate the BS from the truth. I'm learning what I need to keep my mouth shut like I couldn't in my wild and wasted youth. Don't get me wrong, it's good being young. But there's something to be said for getting wrinkles. Every song worth singing's got those lines. There's nothing you can do. It's gonna happen. Sit down and drink a beer with father time. Don't get me wrong. I miss being young. But there's something to be said for getting older. And again it seems to mellow out the mind. Memories are made to sip and savor and dusty bottles pour a finer glass of wine.
1: Don't you just love his writing?
0: Yes. Marianne, do you miss being young?
1: Mm, I don't miss being young, but I do miss not being in pain. I've got L4 and L5 sitting on top of each other, so I'm in persistent pain with that. And so... I would love to be able to, you know, shop as long as I want, or <laughs> work work in the garden for you know six or eight hours like I used to when I was young and not hurt. Um. So physically, I guess I miss being young. Emotionally, mentally, I don't miss being young.
0: Same here. Yeah, mostly. Nah, I I, I wouldn't go back for a million bucks but it would be nice just to just yeah not to have those those pains sometimes or and I keep grunting what I
1: stand <laughs> I <laughs> and, don't want to hear about your bathroom habits
0: <laughs> No, I wish I, I wish it were limited to the bathroom uh recently I I was in Michigan and my sister brother and I you know we're sitting around you know eating steak having cocktails and just Saying and I and I brought up you know every time I stand just about I, I grunt and we all laughed and everything and, and when we finished eating on cue and we were ready to leave we all stood up all of us grunted in unison it was we <laughs> lost it. it was very very funny yeah that's it it's just the physicality of it mm-hmm. and with that pleasant image that's it for this episode. <laughs> So please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. Like sand through an hourglass, dusty bottles do pour a finer glass of wine. This Mm -hmm. is Charlie Navarrete, and from Willie Nelson, death is not the ending of anything. I believe all of us are only energy that becomes matter. When the matter goes away, the energy still exists. You can't destroy it. It never dies. It manifests itself somewhere else. We are never alone. Even by ourselves, we are not alone. Death is just a door opening to somewhere else. Someday, we'll know what that door opens to.
1: Or maybe not. Or maybe not. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, you don't need hallucinogenic drugs to have a mystical
2: experience. And every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast such as treatments dosages outcomes charts patient profiles advice messages and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.